Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yordana Osband, our daf of the day, Masachat Sukkah, daf Lamed Hay, page 35. Of course, as we have seen several dafim of Masachat Sukkah, where our Mishnah of the Gemara of daf 35 is really on the previous daf. So that's where I'm going to begin. Etrog hagazul v'hayavesh pasul. As you might have expected, the same way that we went through Lulav and Hadas and Aravot, We've gone through all of the other of the Dalaminim. Now we come to etrog. An etrog that is stolen or is dry, meaning completely dry, is pasul. It is not kosher to be used for this mitzvah. Shel ashera v'shel ir hanidachat pasul. The same formulation that we've seen already, right? If it's an etrog that comes from an ashera tree, meaning a tree that is used in for an idolatry as opposed to a particular breed of tree. Bishel ir hanidachat, it's one that comes from a city that was de- de- um, designated an idolatrous city. Likewise, pasul. Shel orla, now this is a new one. Shel orla, if the fruit is from the first three years of the growth of the tree, which is prohibited for use, pasul. It is not kosher to be, it, it's prohibited from eating. It's also prohibited from use as a as part of the arba meaning. Shel truma tmea, pasul. If it is from impure truma, Somehow you're, you had a whole bunch of etrogim and they were being designated to be used to, or given as truma to the kohanim and they became, they were rendered impure. You cannot use such a, an etrog for your arba minim. Shall truma tahora lo yitol. Also, if it's from a truma that is still pure, you shouldn't use it. But if you did it, you know, and then retroactively you realized, oh my goodness, that was from the truma section and they were pure you are um then that is kush, that is kosher you have fulfilled your mitzvah shall demai demai okay demai is produce that is acquired from somebody who is an ignoramus somebody who does not who is not known to know the laws of truma and maestro and therefore the presumption is there's no presumption the question is whether they have taken truma and maestro at all you can't reliably assume that they have done so on the other hand, we don't say that it's tevel. We don't say that it's um, for sure not taken. So it's in this, the, the produce itself is in this limbo category of not being clear whether it's had Truman and Maestro taken or not. The The status of this etrog is in this question mark status of Demai. Beit Shammai postlim, shocker. Beit Shammai says you can't use it for your for your Arba Minim. Beit Hillel and Beit Hillel says you can. Shomaser Sheni Biyushalayim. And now we're going through all these different categories of what happens to the produce in terms of Truman and Maestro, how we handle produce that grows in the land of Israel. So Maser Sheni, which is all of the years of the Shemitah cycle, except for three and six, which are Maser Ani, but that's not part of the discussion at this point, right? Maser Sheni is where the the Kedusha of, basically how it's handled is that the Kedusha of the produce that is grown in Israel is then redeemed often onto coins, right, or money, that money is then used to purchase food in Jerusalem, and that food is then um, considered kadosh, right? That you eat your meal from your Maser Shani Kedusha in Jerusalem. So if you have an etrog that is from this Maser Shani produce, um, from this Maser Shani produce, lo yitol, you should not use it. Ve'im natal kasher. But if you did, then that would be kosher. That would be that would count for your arba minim. Okay, 
And now we're going to talk about the beauty. We're going to, you know, we've talked a lot about the beauty of the pre etadar of this etrog. Some of what's going to happen is, is the rest of the mission here. If there's some kind of blemish, right, pustules of some kind that are over more the majority of the the etrog itself. So the first one is, as I say, these pustules or something lumps, bumps on the on most of it. Or if it loses its pitom, if it has a pitom. Niklaf, if it's peeled, if it's cracked, if it's got holes or if it's missing, like a whole chunk of etrog, pasul, all of those would invalidate it for use in the Arba Minim. But some of these blemishes which are nonetheless blemishes, are not enough to invalidate it for use as the Arba Minim. For example, if you had these pustules, but over a, major, a minority of the of the fruit, um, if the stem is missing, if it's got some hole, but it, some puncture, I guess, but it's not missing a whole big chunk, all of that would be kosher. Etrog, hakushi, pasul. Um, okay. An etrog is called a kushite etrog, namely this fruit turns out to be black, and it is, I don't know anything about the botany of it, but it is not kosher for the use here. Vayarok kakarti, Rabbi Meir, Machshir, Rabbi Yehuda, Posel. If it is green like a leek, um, that color of green, so Rabbi Meir says it's fine, and Rabbi Yehuda says it's not. And for anybody who's gone shopping in a little of an etrog market in Israel, you can see some very, very green Etrogum that are totally that have total hashkachot, you know, saying that they're kosher. It's a different strain, I think, and some of them are even there's a Yemenite kind that's very large, also very green. Shiur etrog hakatan, Rabbi Meir Omer ke egos, Rabbi Huda Omer ke beitza uvagadol kedeshi ochaz shnayim biado divrei Rabbi Huda. So what happens? We're talking now about the size, right? First we talked about the surface of it and what does it look like, um, and the color of it, and now we're talking about the size of an etrog. The smallest it can be, according to Rabbi Meir, is like an egoz. An egoz is a, the amount of a walnut, the size of a walnut. I've never seen an etrog that small. Rabbi Hudomer Kibetza, the size of a egg or a large egg, maybe. And the large size, meaning what's the maximum size you could have for an etrog? You could hold two in one hand. That's as that's the maximum size. So as I've already said, this is, these are not my hand sizes. That's Rabbi Yehuda's position. Rabbi Yossi Omer, afilu achad yadav, that you hold one in two hands. Well, those are the very large um, temani etrogim that I mentioned before. They are large enough that you might need two hands to hold on to one, but then you could. You don't like it's not that you can't lift it. Um, I've never seen an etrog that gets any bigger than those. Meaning, it's not as if we're talking about. Uh, what a watermelon size? We're talking about maybe the size of a pineapple without the without the leaves. Okay, so now the Gemara goes on to talk about pre etzadar, which you would expect, and which is, you know, I would say it's really the right time to be doing so. Tana Rabbanan pre etzadar. There's our famous citation. Eats shatam etzo upirio shave. And now we have different understandings of what pre etzadar means. It says this is where a tree where the taste of the tree and of its fruit are the same thing. Hare Omer Zetrog. And that's because the real question is, how do we know that the Priyatadar is really an etrog? If you're trying to understand the biblical text, you could have maybe other possibilities for say a Priyatadar. But 
not when you're talking about the arbaminium. The aim appeal believe so the Gemara says, well, maybe that's a pepper tree. Beating a pepper tree, also you have the the trunk of the tree and the taste of the fruit are are the same. So the idea is that when you the the verse from Vayikra that says when you come to the land and you plant the trees, you'll regard the tree again. We're talking about um, the question of orla that the fruit is going to be set aside for the first three years of the tr- of the tree, um, meaning you have to know that what you're planting there is a food tree, a fruit tree. So there's a whole big limo here that says this is like the pepper. And so therefore that should be, that's a legitimate kashia. It's a question on whether, you know, tam ha'etz katama pri, that the tree and the, and the fruit are the same is enough of a distinction, enough of a definition rather. So at the end of the day, what we learn from this is that the pepper tree uh, really actually needs, you have to worry about Orla, as opposed to thinking that's a proof to say that we're talking about an etro. Um, okay, I want to jump down just very briefly, because what I want to get to here is all these different definitions of Hadar. Rabbi, Rabbi Omer, this is Rabbi Udanasi, Al-Tikri Hadar el Hadir. Don't read Hadar meaning beautiful, but Hadir meaning we're talking about here a sheep pen and where you've got large ones and small ones. The same way that you could have a sheep pen that has sheep of all sizes, including ones that are large and small and those that have blemishes and those that do not. So to here, the etrog, the question that is going to be, okay, you've said so to here, the etrog, but what about all other fruits? You still have different sizes of, you know, I don't know, picket, apple, peach, anything, right? So Rabbi Yudha Nasi says, or the explanation of his position is that when you got an etrog tree, you have small ones growing at the same time that you still have, that the large ones are also growing. I'm sorry, the other way around. The large ones are still on the tree growing as you get new ones. And that seems to be unusual, more specific to the etro. Rabbi Abal says, Al-Tikri Hadar, Ela Hadar. This is a question of Nikud, right? Don't read Hadar instead of Hadar. Okay. There's a precision there in the in the Patach versus the Kamats. So what does it mean? Hadar, one who dwells, which we heard already a few days ago in the position where we're not talking about beauty, we're talking about one who dwells, one who dwells on the tree from year to year, right? In terms of the lastingness of it. Benazai says, read it as idur because shekein belashon yivani korin lamayim idur. The Greek word for, for we can draw the same word hadar to take it to be aligned with idur from Greek, which I guess we would now say hydro, right? I mean, that's the same word, same root. Um, And that what, what fruit grows with that much water? Okay, so therefore we've got the etrog. Um, Okay. And with that, I mean, obviously, the Gemara goes on to parse the rest of the Mishnah, but with that, I'm going to stop. I'm just particularly interested in 
the way in which the Gemara comes to interpret Hadar to, you know, at the end of the day, the conclusion is always going to be the Etrog, but the way you get there is dramatically different. Yeah, and I think this is a great example. They know it's an Etrog. They're just trying to prove it from the text itself. And I think we see there is a little bit of difficulty to do it. It's not like some of the other. Yeah, there was a little discussion around. There's no discussion around Lulav. A little discussion around Hadas and Areva. It's very interesting to see why the Etrog has the most discussion. And I think there is a piece of it that there's some randomness to like why the Etrog. It's not particularly a fruit that people really eat or enjoy. Um, although I do make Estrog jelly. Um, although I've been told now you really can't make it because apparently there's so much really pesticide. So, so I stopped better. doing it. But, um, but you know, if you have it's, an it's, etrog tree, if you have your own etrog tree or you know somebody who does, I then guess you then can, you can, can match. Right. But it's a peculiar fruit. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing being grappled with on this staff. Like, why the etrog? How did we get to an etrog? And it's not really explicitly said in the text itself. And so they sort of have to account for why is it not some other fruit? Um, I think, I feel like, I expect them to say, we know it's an etrog. It's an etrog, right? Instead, there's a lot of discussion of what this word must mean. And I do think that it's matching up to what they know. But I, I wonder, like, why there's a need to pull it from the, not why there's a need to link it to the verse, but why there's a need to pull it from the verse when it's something that they've already known all these years. I imagine that it's, this is part of the, we talk about the loss of um, connection to the Masora to maybe there is a stage of understanding exactly why this was an etrog that is missing and they're trying to figure it out backwards, you know? Right. Back, and back. so I think that's, that actually raises another point, which is, you know, whenever they sort of use the Halakha Lamosha Misenai card, when I read a passage like this, it actually makes me respect more when we do say Halakha Lamosha Misenai because we see they don't invoke it whenever they could. You're right. Like they just could have easily said, "Ah, it's Misora," and they don't do that here. They want to say it's really tied to the text, which I think is really interesting. Um, I'm going to jump ahead to Amud Bet. There was an interesting discussion about demai. Now, demai, what we know is, is basically produce where it's unclear whether or not truma and masa, whether the ties, tights that we need to take in order to eat something, right? The piece that needs to go to the coin, the piece that needs to go to the levy. Uh, whether it was appropriately taken. Um, and so the question is, what about this etrog of Demai, right? Vishel Demai, my time of debate Hillel. So what's the reason for Beit Hillel? Beit Hillel said that an etrog of Demai is a kosher etrog. So the reason is, and this is a great reasoning, is that because Hillel says, Beit Hillel says, if somebody wanted to, he could basically declare all of his property ownerless. He would then be in the category of a poor person and a poor person is allowed to eat demai, right? And then even if, and even if he declared everything to be ownerless, when he takes that etrog, it would still fe- fit the criteria of lachet. It's none. And so now they prove this because they're going to quote uh, a brace here from, uh, you know, uh, about demai. Machilin etani aniyam. Demai vets demai, right? You're allowed to feed poor people demai, and you can also feed soldiers, soldiers who are basically, you know, had to be supported by the city in which they were in, 
you those are categories of people that you're allowed to feed demai. That is an opinion of Hillel. But according to Beit Shammai, a poor person can't eat demai. Right? Because Beit Shammai teaches a brisa which says, we don't feed poor people and soldiers demai. But I'm a Rav Huna, and Rav Huna comments here. Tana, right? He says it was taught, and now he's quoting a brisa. So he now quotes the Bryce where you see both of the opinions together. They Beit Hillel says you can do you know feed demai to poor people and soldiers, and Beit Shammai says you can't. I just thought the reasoning here with Beit Hillel was very interesting. So in other words, you could take this demai etrog. The condition that you would have to meet, which is not explicit when it just says that Beit Hillel says it's kasher, is that you would have to declare yourself a poor person. You would have to make everything, you know, all of your things ownerless. Then you could be poor. Then you could use this demai etrog. Now, again, I think this is a little bit boundary pushing. Like, would somebody actually do this, even if their only option was a demai etrog? Would they be willing to impoverish themselves just in order to be able to do this mitzvah? I don't know. It seems like a peculiar way um, to do it. But I also just like the concept in general that we have this category of produce that really is not allowed to be eaten by people. But Beit Hillel, and again, I think this goes along with sort of Beit Hillel's personality, right? Sort of um, being a little bit more, uh, I don't like using the word kind because I don't want to say it's that Beit Shammai wasn't kind, but sort of this openness of trying to take care of people, whereas Beit Shammai is a little bit more stricter into the letter of the law, that here you have two categories of people who really need to be fed. And so Beit Hillel is going to say, all right, it's demai. Like, you know what? We might as well, you might as well use it. You might as well feed people with those things. It's not tebel. It's not something that, you know, for sure, Truman Master wasn't taken from. It's a question. And so therefore, for certain categories of people who probably really need the food, we're going to let you feed it. So I think this also is a classic machlokas that really expresses the two different personalities that we have of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Oh, 100%. And I think it's really interesting that, I would say that this is really a very fine example of a creative application or or interpretation of how to handle um, what is fundamentally a question mark in halacha, right? Meaning demai means you don't know what the status of it is, but because there's a way that it can be eaten by blah, 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 blah. Meaning, so then to, it, there's this, I, I, I like what you said about Bait Hill in terms of their, I, I, I don't know what, generosity, openness of, openness of approach. But Maybe I also that's think that's a good word. I like that. It's, there's a certain generosity to Bait Hill because kind implies that Bait Shammai isn't. So I like that. That's what I'm going to say from now on. Okay, good. But, but also, I think that there's something very creative in finding this solution. Now, whether anybody would impoverish themselves, that's one thing. But they're like, unfortunately, there are plenty of poor people around. So those same poor people might not have any idea that they could eat from Demai if somebody doesn't come and say, listen, by the way, here's Demai for you. Because I feel like everybody wants to do this, like, let's keep these halachot to the letter, to the strict letter of the law and make sure that, you know, Demai is a suffix. So we're not going to worry about it, right? We're not going to handle it. We're not going to. We're going to, at the most, take Truman and Maestro, the suffix, you know, whatever. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good way to explain it as well. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.